From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Milady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. This Thursday in the octave of e- uh, Easter, how am I doing? In the octave of Christmas. <laughs> I'm rushing things along here, Father. Um, <laughs> thanks so much for tuning in to Open Line Thursday. Father Brian Milady is in the house. He was planning on going back to Portland from uh, L.A. tomorrow, but, well, that's not going to happen now. We've got a the stuck in the southwest the, 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 the travel olympics have uh, have right. caught father Milady, but he uh he's here with us and that's all that matters today if you'd like to be part of the program the number is 833-288-EWTN that's 833-288-3986 if you're outside the united states and canada we'd still love to hear from you that number is 1205 Two seven one two nine eight five, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams, celebrity producer Jeff Burson at the controls today, also handling our social media efforts. Um, and uh, Matt Kubensky, as always, screening your phone calls. Um, if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Thursday, the aforementioned, Father Brian Milady. How are you? Just fine, thank you. And, and I mentioned that up. we are in the octave of Christmas, and you want to talk a little bit about that at the beginning of the program today. I do, yes. And don't forget, it's my feast date today because I'm my religious name is Thomas Beckett. Oh, well, there you go. What, yes. Now, what's what's the business with the A? The A apostrophe. Uh, what's that well, all about? Well, uh, uh, Thomas Beckett was actually uh, Norman, and you know the the French had co- conquered England a year, hundred um, years before, but there were still holdovers in the French uh, days, and in fact, they had Henry the Second was king more more land in France than he was in England. And the court language was French, too. So when they would, uh, I guess, want to give themselves credibility, they put the ah, mm-hmm. the French ah. Um, you, you see different versions of the name. So in most so. of the English-speaking word, world, you would just leave that A off, right? Yes, but Perfect. there are people that would put it in. Sure. We had a spirited debate about that yesterday. I'll be happy to pass this information along. Really? <laughs> So talk to us about the octave of Christmas, and octaves in general, probably. Yes. Well, first of all, I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas, as I haven't been on the air since Christmas Day. And um, octaves are extended feasts, basically. And in the ancient world, especially even weddings, as you know, the celebration of a wedding was extended in a number of days because they were such joyous events and so important to commemorate. So in the old liturgy, we used to have three octaves or three major feasts, which would be Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost. 
uh, many people, even Paul VI, who approved the new missile, found it very unfortunate that he realized that they had suppressed the Octave of Pentecost because it meant a great deal to him. But anyway, there are extended celebrations. And in this particular week, it's very interesting, the feast days they chose to put here, because most of them have no particular date. In other words, now Thomas Beckett does. He was martyred on December 29th. But all the rest, they're randomly assigned, and they're randomly assigned for a reason. Uh, the joy of Christmas, which rightly celebrates the coming of our Lord to earth, the realization of truth. Today we had the presentation in the temple. So the light of revelation of the Gentiles would be scientists, philosophers, the Magi, even Plato like, people like Plato and Aristotle, who talked about the light by which we know logic and reason is fulfilled in the child. And then the glory of Israel is also fulfilled in the child. And the glory is the holy Shekinah, the uh, cloud represented the mysterious presence of God, covered Mount Sinai when the law was given and filled the temple when the sacrifices were performed, and actually is what this glory of the Lord is that's shown around the angels when they have prayed to the shepherds who also represent the Jews. Now, in addition to this joy, however, we always have to remember that the reason Christ came to earth, as is stated in the script, Scriptures is to be our redeemer. And as a result, the shadow of the cross and suffering stand next to the glory of the light showing from the crib. So on the first day after Christmas, we celebrate the first martyr, St. Stephen, who uh, looked into heaven, remember, and saw Christ standing at the right hand of the Father and uses a language reminiscent of the prophet Daniel having to do with the Messiah and the Jews are not under any illusions at all that he is, in their way of thinking, blaspheming because he's making Jesus equal to God. And that's why, as you know, they stone him. He also demonstrates, however, what Christmas means to us because as they're stoning him, he prays for his persecutors and at least in tradition, the means that God used to convert St. Paul. Remember it says Saul held the coats of the people stoning Stephen and concurred in the act of killing is the means God uses, the intercessory means to change Saul into St. Paul. Then, of course, so in other words, we have a martyr, both in deed and in word, in the first day. In the second day, we have a martyr in word, but not in deed. And that would be the fact that what motivates all this is the love of God. And this is very much demonstrated in John, the beloved disciple, who rested on the breast of our Lord in the Last Supper. And it's very beautifully stated in the entrance antiphon for the Mass, John, to whom the Lord revealed heavenly secrets, because he's the contemplative, he's called the divine in some places, because you see that he's a martyr in word, but he doesn't experience, he's the only one of the apostles, remember, who wasn't experiencing physical death for the faith.
Then, interestingly enough, yesterday we had the Holy Innocents. Now, no one knows when the massacre of the innocents occurred. We know it's maybe a year or two after Christ's birth. But you remember that it harkens back to Moses because Pharaoh tried to kill all the firstborn in Egypt. So the new Pharaoh, the new Herod, who should welcome Christ coming as the king of Israel, uh, he seeks to kill him also. And they are martyrs indeed, but they're not in word because they're babies. They're under two, as you recall, I believe. So um, all these feasts demonstrate to us, and Thomas Beckett's no exception, that though we have a wonderful time of celebration now, if we miss seeing the aspect of suffering that will be connected with it, Christ took a physical body primarily to suffer, that if we miss this connection, we miss the good deal of what's also contained in Christ's body being brought forth from the womb of Mary, uh, sharing in her flesh and blood so that he himself might give his flesh and blood on the cross. The octave of Christmas then is extremely important, not just as a celebration of the whole of the uh, Christmas Day over and over again. It is repeated sometimes. This year, not too much because we had Christmas on Sunday. But um, the Holy Families also is a feast that's celebrated during this time. But it's to extend and reveal the mystery more fully. And in this case, it would be the mystery of suffering. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Grab one of these open phone lines. They will fill up quickly. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love a phone call from you today. That number is 1-205-271-271. 2985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1 205 271 2985 and you can always send us that email the email address is openline at ewtn.com it's ewtn's open line thursday with father brian Milady. Wishing you a holy Christmas and a happy new year from all of us at EWTN Radio. Grab one of these open phone lines at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. You know, EWTN Radio can be heard on most of these newfangled smart speakers that are floating around out there like the Amazon Echo. Just give it a try. Simply say, Alexa. Play EWTN Radio, and you'll be surprised. Or maybe you won't. (laughs) To the phones we go. First up today is John in Arlington, Virginia, listening on Guadalupe Radio. John, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Afternoon, gentlemen. Father, 
You mentioned the uh, suppressed octave of Pentecost and that Paul VI was very disappointed in that. And that's I have heard that before, and I've often wondered, he was the Pope for Pete's sake. Couldn't he have just decided to reverse that? It, it, it seems to me there may have been quite a lot that he didn't realize was happening at that time and just sort of let slip by. So I'm wondering if you could comment on that. Well, that's a particularly glaring example. Uh, actually, I think they they finally had something settled. Um, I know this is a big debate because of all the problems with the liturgy, both that past and present. But for those of us who lived through it, um, everything was on track, I would say, until 1967. And all of a sudden, in 1968, things just went to pieces, totally. And people were making up their own Eucharistic prayers and they were, you know, making up their own rituals and nobody paid attention to the missile. And Apollo 6 was just in anguish. So he wanted something. Uh, I think he got a little more than he bargained for in some ways. Um, But the Octave of Pentecost was a particularly glaring example. He went in and wanted to know where the red vestments were for the Octave of Pentecost uh, after the reform of the missile. And they said, well, Holy Father, there is no octave of Pentecost. What do you mean there's no octave of Pentecost? And, they, and, and then they said, well, you did away with it. He said, I did away with the octave of Pentecost. <laughs> and they said, yes. And then supposedly he cried and he said, poor Pentecost, like that. I just think he was tired of the whole thing, as much as I'm tired of it, frankly. Uh, for 55 years, I've been watching the Mass have various metamorphoses in various ways. And, you know, our young priests are trying to, are starting to rediscover certain of the traditions, which I think is fine. But I told them one day, I said, you know, guys, I've been dealing with this. What we're are what we're really going to do for 55 years? And frankly, I'm just liturgy now. <laughs> so, and you, you guys do, you know, I, I just I can't deal with it anymore. I just wanted to say my ass and the missile. Um, I realize that it's not perfect, but heck, I'm too old to learn. I was I was raised under the old right. You know, I didn't attend my first English mass where any English was used or anything until I was 18 years old. But I'm just tired of the whole thing. So I just want to say my prayers and uh, go to heaven, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, John. We appreciate the phone call today. Yeah. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Still two lines open for you at 833-288-3986. Next up is Jawan in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, listening on Sirius yeah. XM Channel 130. Jawan, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Hi, how are you? Fine, thank you. That's good. Um, I just had a quick question. Well, it's not quick. Well, it's probably going to take longer to answer than to um, ask it. But I was talking to a lady today, and she was telling me that Easter is something that man made up because it's nowhere mentioned in the Bible. And I was listening to you giving the information and what you knew. So I was like, oh, let me take a chance and call and see if he can either um, confirm or deny well, I, um, what he was saying. Understand. Well, I don't quite understand the question. Christmas isn't in the Bible either, um, as well, far as term is concerned. But it's, Jesus was certainly born, and he certainly rose from the dead. 
the fact that they call it Easter and they call it Christmas, those are things that are man-made, but not the fact that the actual incident occurred. Okay, okay. So because her thing was she doesn't celebrate Easter because um, she's AME, and they were told that Easter is not, uh, it has nothing to do with the Bible at all. It's not, it's nothing that was biblically bound. Well, I'm sorry, that's absolutely false. Um, obviously, Christ rose from the dead on Easter. So it had everything to do with the Bible. In fact, okay. Paul says, if Christ is not risen, our faith is in vain. I mean, and, and the post-resurrection appearances of our Lord are described. The term, of course, doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from human beings. But the fact certainly is in the Bible. Okay, okay. Well, thank you so much for answering that, because I can explain it to her exactly the same. Because when she said it, I was just like, oh, my God, are you serious? Like, I think that sometimes, I don't know if you find, like, but sometimes I think people think too much or they try and put too much in. And we're just celebrating the life of Christ, you know, and we're just thankful for him coming and dying. That's how I felt when she said it. I was just like, well, I mean, we're just thankful for him dying for our sins. We're thankful for him coming here on earth to save us from our sins. So I didn't say and, it to her, but I was in, like, I'm going to ask questions. Well, he rose from the dead, too. Right, so right. So be thankful for that. I, I, I don't think I buy into the idea of thinking too much. I buy into the idea of not thinking enough. Anybody <laughs> okay. that can't prove that these terms are made by human beings, uh, you know, I mean, Christmas means Christ Mass. Obviously, in the Bible, they didn't use the words Christ Mass. Okay, but Christ. Oh, okay. Course, but Christ, of course, was born from Mary. Is <laughs> the Timothy? Yes. God bless right. you, Juwan. Well, you know. Okay, and let me just say this to him. Yeah. Uh, one thing that um, I don't know, my husband listens to this Christian radio station here in North Carolina, ninety-seven point seven, and I heard the guy last week was actually challenging that. He was saying Mary wasn't a virgin. It's just something that people made up. I'm like, what? Where oh, did yeah, you get I know. That from? They, 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 well, because they think Jesus, uh, the, the Joseph, uh, he had brothers and sisters, so therefore she couldn't have been a virgin. But see, the brothers and sisters of Jesus, the word, the terminology again, is the biblical terminology refers not just to the immediate family, but as is clear, even in the Old Testament with Abraham, and uh, I guess I forget who the other person was, it also refers to extended family. So cousins are called brothers and sisters in biblical terminology. Right, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, listen, thank you so much. I don't want to hold you up, but listen, you answered it perfectly, and you really gave me something to um, be able to take back to her. So listen, God bless, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year and Merry Christmas to you as well, Dewan. I think Dewan is a proud graduate of the Father Brian Malady School of Practical Catholicism. <laughs> yeah. Next up is Mike, a first-time caller in Toledo, Ohio, listening on our great affiliate there, Annunciation Radio. Mike, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Brian Malady. Sure, thanks. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas, Father. I remember seeing you decades ago at a pro-life conference in Steubenville, so... Good to talk mm -hmm. to you again. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder what if the church still has a role in, in in more than just perhaps offering up a prayer in certain circumstances. And I'm, I'll tell you what I'm thinking of. For instance, in the Middle Ages, 
when people were begging for some sort of help, the Church organized or helped organize the Crusades, and because there was really no one else to call upon. What about now, like uh, in a country like Nigeria, where Christians and Catholics are persecuted, uh, and and really I feel sometimes helpless because I feel like all the Church of today offers up is a prayer, versus in the Crusade days they organized a resistance to to exact some justice or protect the people, you know, that were crying out for help. In other words, the police were called and the Church answered, as the police, you could say. Now we just offer up a prayer, and we rely on the secular people to take care of the policing or the military aspect of it. And yet, if there's not a commercial interest, say, in Nigeria, a geopolitical commercial interest, they don't bother with it in the secular world. So does the Church have a responsibility, or could they play a role more than just offering up a prayer, in your opinion? Uh, Well, first of all, I would say in the Crusades, they did the same. Remember, the Crusades were an attempt to defend the pilgrims that went to the Holy Land from the Muslims. But we were invited to do this by the Emperor of Constantinople, who also needed help in defending his domains. And the first crusade was basically preached. by It's true, it was preached by the Pope, but the church itself had no role to play in it. We presented the need and we gave the indulgence but it was the secular lords that did all of it. You know, all these people who eventually became the kings of Palestine for a while and things, those were all secular people. So uh, we can point out the need and we can give the prayers. And since everybody was a Christian and they were defending Christian shrines, they also gave them this indulgence to go, but they didn't, would generally lead armies and things like that. It was the secular people that did that. And if they did, they did it, bishops did it as secular lords, not as bishops. In fact, so, so the church could call, the church could call out the need in the case of Nigeria, instead of just saying, we pray for your. Well, yes, except that who would answer it? I mean, there aren't any Christian countries anymore or Christian monarchs. And uh, they even toward the end of the crusading era, which would have been uh, about 1400, they, the, you know, they, the kings would promise, but nobody would ever come through. <laughs> so it was a very unique period. And it was an attempt. Well, you know, the Muslims always claim that we were attempting to convert everybody to Christianity, which is absolutely false. The crusaders left people free to practice their religion as long as they didn't molest the um, the pilgrims. You know, they didn't try to force anybody to embrace Christianity. So I sometimes um, feel so helpless, but, but you've answered my question. Thank, thank you so much. Uh, okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Mike. We appreciate the phone call today. Straight ahead, we'll talk to James in Racine, Wisconsin, Michael in South Florida, and we've got plenty of time for your phone calls as well. The toll-free number, once again, is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It left, Father. It just flew away. 
I had such an insightful thing to say right there, and it just completely left me. (laughs) Anyway, the number again is 833. I do know that. 288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. And if you are outside of the United States and Canada, you can just uh, give us a call at 1-205-271-2985, and we will even put you straight to the front of the line at 1205-271-2985. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. Wishing you a holy Christmas and a happy new year from all of us at EWTN Radio. Still a couple of open phone lines and plenty of time for your calls on this Christmas Thursday edition of EWTN's Open Line. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. As advertised, next up is James, a first-time caller in Racine, Wisconsin, listening on WSFI radio out of uh, northern Illinois. James, you are on with Father Brian Mullady. Good afternoon, Father Mullady. How are you? Fine. I just have a question about the apostolic pardon. What? Uh, how does a priest decide who to give the apostolic pardon? Well, the priest should give everybody the apostolic pardon. Is there some law about reserving it on certain cases? It's supposed to be a part of the anointing ritual. Okay, I thought there was some discretion. Um, so... Basically, anybody getting the last rights then with the apostolic pardon is um, yes. I mean, it is optional, but you can you should do it. Yes. I mean, why would anybody would, not give a person the apostolic pardon if they were anointing them? Oh, I can. Okay, I was just curious. Uh, so that anybody who receives that is absolved of the temporal punishment of mortal sin. Well, yes. If if they're sincere and properly disposed, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, as okay. far as I know. I just, mm-hmm. Right, I was just curious. I thought um, I had thought that you know some people were sincere in their repentance of mortal sin still had to do purgatory for the cleansing of it. That's why I was just yes, curious. They do, yes, they do, um, unless they receive <laughs> plenary indulgence, which is what the apostolic pardon is. Why would you? You, the only, you wouldn't give it except that it's needed, and it's only needed because of the temporal punishment due to sin. And I think it would probably sure. yeah, I think it would probably be fair to say wouldn't it father that you would be uh, probably more likely to be disposed towards being detached from all sin in the process of dying, huh? Oh, well, I hope so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sure, I, right, okay. I remember when I first began my priesthood, I worked in a hospital uh, in Reno, Nevada. In the summer, I used to help take the chaplain's place. Believe me, there's no atheists in hospitals, or very few. Uh, you know, uh, they're uh, really hardcore, believe me. Yeah. God bless you, James. Merry Christmas. Thanks so much for the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Michael, another first-time caller in South Florida, watching us today on YouTube. Michael, you are on with Father Brian Mullady. 
Good afternoon, everybody. It's a beautiful day here in South Florida, and I just meet my mother and I just set a divine mercy under our beautiful oak tree with the happy little woodpeckers pecking around and having a beautiful day. So I'm very thankful to be here with you today. So I wanted to call with a very special, important question. So <clears throat> I discovered a couple that I know, and they, they're, they're both past now, but in their home they have a stash of the Blessed Sacrament. And I know how this happened because I talked to the gentleman about this before it happened, but I'll just explain a little bit. So what happened was <clears throat> his wife was homebound, and he would go to Mass, and he would you know, receive the Jesus in the sacrament and take a piece home and, I guess, give it to his wife. And apparently, I guess, there's some times where she didn't take it. And of course, you're not supposed to do that. We all know that. However, he accumulated a little stash of the Blessed Sacrament, and praise be to God, I found it. So now, you know, I know I have to do something about it. So, Father, what should I do? Should I take it to my local priest, who I have a lovely priest, or how, how do I handle the situation? Yes, you should take it to your your local priest and ask him to consume it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, Father, and that's what I will do. He should have actually uh, become a designated Eucharistic minister. And if he had become that for her, I don't know if he did or not, but he, he should consume Well, see, that's, no, you're not supposed to do that <laughs> for, just because of problems like this. And even some of them, they aren't well-trained. I remember I was saying Mass one place, and I found it very odd that this woman came up, and she took the host, and she put it in her pocket and walked out. Nope. So I, I went out to get her, and I said, well, I have to have a, 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 you know, a medical test, so I'm going to give myself communion in a couple of hours. I said, you can't do that. I said, you can't carry it around in your pocket, for heaven's sakes. And uh, so we finally, it was in a convent, fortunately, and some sisters came out and convinced her that she couldn't do that, too. But, um, you know, she and she was a Desiree minister, but apparently she'd never been trained properly. So, uh, yeah, no, they, you can't, you can't uh, just make it your, like, little personal, private um, communion station wherever you see no, fit. Absolutely not, because like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm more adamant now. I have to tell people that this is Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity present in the right. Blessed Sacrament. That's, that's why we have saints like Saint Carlos Acutis, who are so adamant about spreading the word of that Jesus is truly present in the Blessed Sacrament. This is our Lord and Savior. This is not a wafer. This is the, this is Jesus in His entirety. Right. Well, and if you, the woman can't receive the entire host, then you should consume it yourself. It shouldn't be just left around in the closet or something. Yeah. Merry Christmas, Michael. Thanks so much for the phone call today. We've still got time for your calls at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. That's the number Robert used. He is another first-time caller in Indianapolis, Indiana, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Robert, welcome to the program. You're on with Father Brian Milady. Thank you. Uh, afternoon, Father. I have a question regarding the Advent wreath. There was in a recent breakfast with a bunch of my Catholic in-laws, we had a question of why sometimes there is a fifth candle. We have the three purple, a pink, but occasionally there is an additional one put in there. 
and it is a white one. We've two or three of us remembered seeing it, and it is not every year. Any insight as to what that is that we've seen? Not really, but if I were to guess, I would say that it's just something you light on Christmas Day where you light all the candles with it as a kind of sign of its completion. That's right. I think it's supposed to signify that Christ is now here. Right, exactly. Thank you, Father. Appreciate your help. Take care. Sure. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We, uh, uh, the parish that we belonged to when I entered the church decades ago, uh, we had a parochial vicar, uh, Father Sam Palmer of Happy Memory, who would just read you the riot act if you had Jesus in your nativity set before Christmas Day. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is Philip. He's a first-time caller in Anderson, Indiana. He's listening to EWTN on Catholic Radio Indy. Philip, you're on with Father Brian Malady. Hi, Father. Uh, thank you for taking my call. It's, a, it's an honor to get to talk to you. I, I appreciate it very much. And uh, my question is simple. Uh, I'm not a Catholic, and, and, I, and I hope it's okay. I hope I'm not intruding, but... Do you do you have my question is do you have to be a Catholic to make it into heaven? Um, well, let's put it this way: there's two principles, both of which have to be affirmed. The first, not either or, both and. All right, uh, there's oh. no salvation outside the Catholic Church because we believe we have the fullness of revelation. So if anyone were to be saved who wasn't a member of the Catholic Church, it would be because they, certain of the things they believe, we believe too. It's through those things we all in common. Okay. But the second is that morally, God never holds a person responsible when they've done what they're able to do for something they may not know, especially this falls under the idea of ignorance. So if a person... Uh, it doesn't know or has never really a, a appreciated the Catholic doctrine. And as long as they don't seek to uh, undermine the Catholic doctrine, uh, then it's possible for them to be saved under the principle of ignorance. And we do believe that Protestants have two sacraments, not Eucharist, but we believe they have the sacrament of baptism and marriage. And so since marriage is a holy estate, and since it's a means by which people lose their ego, if they're living a good life and especially married properly and having a happy relationship, they actually become priests to each other and under that rubric, provided again, they're ignorant in a way of uh, what's in Catholicism they can be saved. Now, I would really uh, question whether either Catholics today or Protestants especially could give you a realistic explanation of what the distinctions and discussions were concerning grace in the Protestant Reformation. In other words, my, my grandmother was a Methodist 
but she was an unlettered. She'd gone to school long until she was in the seventh grade. She certainly didn't understand grace and justification, I can tell you. <laughs> and occasionally she'd go to mass with us. She wouldn't go to communion, but she'd go to mass with us because she didn't really understand what the difference was between the two religions. However, we do believe that the fullness of truth is found in the Catholic Church, and those elements which are positive union with us, if left to their natural development, should lead to full unity. So there are certainly people who are not Catholic, who are not even Christian perhaps, who in a, not, not, not atheists, but uh, invincibly right. ignorant of Christ, right. explicitly, they have to have an implicit faith in Christ. In fact, St. Paul says in Hebrews, I think it's 11.6, that sufficient for salvation is that a person believes that God exists and that he rewards good and punishes evil, which, as you develop it and make it more full, should lead a person directly to Christ. And you can even see that with certain pagans in the New Testament, probably the, well, you know, Jesus's first comma, convert wasn't really Jewish. The uh, good, the Samaritan woman was a syncretist. She believed in some of the things Judaism believed in, but not all of them. And then of course you have the centurion who's a pagan, but he accepts Christ, you know, um, and actually says, I mean, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. So those things who naturally lead them, as it led the star, led the Magi, who were also not Jewish exactly, to Bethlehem, should naturally lead them when they first experience Jesus to believe in him. You can see all, also that in uh, the famous incident of Philip in the Acts of the Apostles and the eunuch of the court of the Candace, where the eunuch is reading the prophet Isaiah and they pick up Philip in this carriage and he asks him to explain the prophet Isaiah to him. And he's a pagan too. And so once he has it explained, then he realizes it's Jesus. And then he says, well, I want to be baptized. And uh, so Philip says, well, where and when? He says, now there's water right there, isn't there? <laughs> so... Um, it should yeah, lead fully to, to the... Uh, I really uh, heard something you said I'd never, ever heard before and uh, uh, where the Christian couple uh, are priests oh, yeah. into their signals. That, that's, that's awesome because yes. me, me and my wife do that all the time. We, we kind of in a way, in, in a way, we're preaching to each other. In a way, or and, and right. when you said that, I thought, "Wow, that's." Well, see, uh, Luther that believed that everybody, everybody was the same as a priest. I was brought up a Lutheran. We do and, believe uh, in the, priesthood, the laity, but we believe in the priesthood. The, the, the baptized people are not ministerial priests like me, but they're priests that um, try to make the world holy, and that's primarily in the sacrament of matrimony, because they're both baptized, matrimony for them is the holy state, and that's why we don't accept a Protestant divorce either. 
God bless you, Philip. Thanks so much for the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. We can still squeeze in a phone call or two at 833-288-3986. Be, to ch- be sure rather to check out Catholic Answers Live tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll be recapping the church news of the year with Tim Ryland. That's Catholic Answers Live tonight, 6 Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Diane. Another first-time caller in Bonnie Lake, Washington, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Diane, you're on with Father Brian Mullady. Thank you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Father uh, Mullady, uh, my uh, non-Catholic husband went to church with me, with me on the day we were celebrating the Immaculate Conception. And when we came home, he, uh, he's more Bible literate than I am. And he said, where in the Bible does it say that Our Lady was born without sin in order to uh, have uh, Jesus Christ? I, I don't know. I'm not Bible literate. Well, it isn't explicitly stated there because it was something privately that occurred in the Blessed Virgin Mary and God. But uh, the readings, if you recall, for that Mass talk about God choosing people before the foundation of the world from Ephesians. And they also talk about the famous first gospel, which is in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between your seed and the woman's seed. He shall strike at your head and you shall strike at his heel. Those are considered to be implicit references. And the Immaculate Conception was a truth in the Western Church that was defined very late, 1854, by the Pope, but it was believed in the Eastern Church almost from the time that Mary uh, was um, uh, uh, Christ died, and also remember the Immaculate Conception is the same as the Virgin Birth. The Virgin Birth means that Mary had no relations, and it says in the Gospel she didn't have relations. Um, and they use the word until, but it's a very strange word in Greek. And it talks about things that occur um, uh, after, but not before. So she never had relations with a man. And you can see that by the fact that Joseph is a little perturbed. <laughs> uh, and he's not perturbed in a sense that he doubts that it's a miracle or he thinks she's a, a sinner or something. But he perturbed in the sense he doesn't know how this miracle kind of occurred and what his place in it is. The Immaculate Conception is that Mary herself was conceived without original sin. And that is something that, again, it was a doctrine that developed in the church. That's why in Catholicism, our sources for our doctrine are not just faith through scripture, but also tradition. And in fact, tradition comes before scripture because tradition is revelation as preached. Obviously, the apostles preached before they wrote down what they were talking about. Although scripture is, of course, a privileged form of divine inspiration. So uh, you can't just say, because it isn't explicitly in the Bible, it didn't happen. Right, because the issue was that where was she born without sin? Where? She, it was, mm-hmm. it was she did, original sin didn't touch her body. 
she never experienced original sin. But she does need to be redeemed. And that was the theological difficulty. She has no sin, mm -hmm. need to be redeemed. Well, the solution was given by a Franciscan in the Middle Ages named Dun Scotus, that in light of her participation in the cross, remember she stood at the foot of the cross weeping, yeah. Uh, yeah. all those things, in light of her participation and all that, God miraculously preserved her from original sin. God bless you, Diane. Merry Christmas Thank to you. you. Uh, congratulations to a longtime member of the EWTN radio family. Sacred Heart Radio in Cincinnati, Ohio, is celebrating their 21st year as an EWTN affiliate. They serve the greater Cincinnati area with 3 a.m. and FM signals. And we also partner with them to bring you the Sunrise Morning Show. So congratulations to Bill Levitt, Anna Mitchell, Matt Swain, uh, Paul Lockman, and the whole gang at Sacred Heart Radio from all of us here at EWTN. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. We can probably squeeze in one more call if you give us a, a jingle at 833-288-3986. Um, Chendrix is watching on YouTube and uh, asks... My question is, are there practical ways of reading the Bible and the catechism on a daily basis, if possible? And if so, how exactly would you suggest one go about doing that? Well, I would suggest reading the catechism. And when one comes to a footnote that's from Scripture, that one investigate that uh, verse in Scripture or that's, that whole section in Scripture, you know, the 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 chapter or the uh, context in which the particular incident occurred. Uh, That's and, what I would yeah. suggest. And we got an email from Corey, and he says, um, I joyfully accept all that Holy Mother Church proposes for my belief, but I find myself having difficulty explaining why in vitro fertilization is wrong. Oh, <laughs> well, again, in one minute, you want this, huh? <laughs> okay, let's do the best we can in one minute. Uh, in vitro fertilization is wrong because it doesn't take place in the context of a love act between a man and a woman. And the child is supposed to be in the love act, and it reduces conception to mechanical means that human beings control basically in test tubes. So a child is conceived more or less at least the initial uh, um, fertilization takes place more or less in a test tube. Even they replant the zygote or whatever it is in the womb of the mother. It has to be the fruit of a personal human act of love because human beings are so complicated and because of rationality, because of our spiritual uh, soul. Um, and Lawrence would like to know, uh, this is an, this is one you can easily do in a minute, father. He wants to know if viewing pornography is a mortal sin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, people, uh, all given all the conditions that occur with a mortal sin, which, you know, it has to be grave matter. It has to be full consent. Some people develop an addiction to pornography that in itself doesn't mean a full consent, although they should be able to try to find means to help them 
to rid themselves of this addiction. But if it truly is an addiction, the actual act would not be something that would be a mortal sin, but what led up to it in the sense of what led you to develop this habit might be, and that's that's where you really need to work to address. Uh, The alcoholics have a saying, don't look at where you fall, look at where you slipped to begin with. Um, and, uh, and the same could be said for us. We need to address the addiction. Uh, and a little follow-up question. Uh, Gary says, because Mary was conceived without original sin, did she have a glorified body from birth? No. Uh, being conceived without original sin is not the same as having a glorified body. Adam and Eve obviously had no original sin when they were created, but they didn't have glorified bodies. God kept them from suffering. He protected them. He guarded them. And the same is true of the Blessed Virgin. Now, did the Virgin Mary experience death? Well, that's always been a debated subject. It's never been defined. And even when Pius XII defined the assumption, because it was a debated subject, he refrained from defining it. However, it depends on what you mean by death. If by death you mean a suffering death, then a person who has no original sin should not experience a suffering death. The way I like to put it is it's like the Snow White member who eats the poisoned apple and falls into the sleep of the living death but still has the rosy cheeks and there's no corruption, in other words, in her body. Well, that would be what Mary's body would probably be like if she experienced a kind of death. And uh, there is a description of Mary's assumption but it comes 400, you know, say in the 6th century by, say, John Damascene. And it does involve a tomb, and it involves an empty tomb, as does Jesus's. And it also involves all the apostles being transported miraculously to Jerusalem to sing a dirge over the coffin. And then Thomas, of course, is late, as usual. <laughs> and he wants to see the body. He's an Assad, want to see it person. And when they uncover the tomb, they discover it's empty, and they believe that Christ took his mother to heaven with him so that she would not experience a corrupting death. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Milady, our producer, Jeff Burson, call screener Matt Kubensky. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Colin Donovan. Until then, God bless. <laughs>